Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Perspective Transformation Radio, enjoying its 10th anniversary, often the number one live airing broadcast on Blog Talk Radio, and reaching a global audience of over 185,000 listeners. During this hour-long interview-style program, you'll meet Perspective Transformers, who come to share their most pivotal, life-changing insights and aha moments, offering you instant access to life, leadership, and God-loving seismic shifts of your own. We encourage you to invite friends to join you here now, or share quotes with attribution, and also reach out to our sponsor, WomenSpeakers.com. WomenSpeakers.com is the most popular online connecting place for Christian event planners and Christian women speakers since 2002. I'm your host, Marnie Swedberg, and I encourage you to grab a notepad and get ready to meet today's Perspective Transformer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Marnie. I'm excited to have you with us today, along with our special guest, Natalie Chambers-Snap, the author of The Bathsheba Battle. We're going to be talking today about finding hope. And during this hour, you're going to discover how to keep it real, face and understand pain, deal with the associated shame, anger, and fear, receive compassion, honestly grieve, how to take care of you, and take responsibility for your part, as well as to forgive others in yourself. Our guest today, Natalie Snap, is an author, blogger, and speaker known for her refreshing authenticity and practical approach to life and God's word. Her website is nataliesnap.com. Welcome to you, Natalie. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you today, Marnie. Well, and it's great to have you here and the Bathsheba battle. I love the title of your book because who knew there was a battle? But, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what? right. Um, there, there are real differing opinions as to what really happened there. And the Bible gives us, yes. um, gives us a very abbreviated version of what took place, yes. but we don't see all the, all the details. What prompted you to actually write a whole book about this? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, my first book was entitled Heart Sisters, Be the Friend You Want to Have. And a part of that book uh, detailed what I call the Super Seven Sisters. And, and they are just simply seven women of the Bible personalities that you may identify with as your friendship style. It was fun for women to identify some of the friends that they had and their personality traits. For example, like your Mary friend is a prayer warrior. Your Deborah friend is kind of the person you go to for wise counsel. And one of the super seven sisters is Bathsheba. And my description for her in Heart Sisters was that this is your friend or possibly you who has just really gone through some stuff in life and lived to tell about it. And instead of being a victim, have emerged as a survivor and as a result have that wisdom and just that kind of, you know, just life experience that can give us inspiration pretty much when we're going through tough times of our own. So whenever I would have a speaking engagement or I would write about Bathsheba, I just got so much feedback. Mm. I would have people come up to me afterwards and want to talk more about Bathsheba and confide in me and say, gosh, you know, listen, I really, I always call them the Bathsheba babe. They would say, you know, I'm a Bathsheba <laughs> babe. I'm part of that club. And I am too. Mm-hmm. And so when I started really researching her, you know, what is it about her that is really just catching women who have been through hard times? And really, isn't that all of us? I mean, I think that there's probably, 
nobody in the world that can say that their life has gone exactly the way they've planned it to go. So many of us understand the story of our life taking an unexpected turn. And so as I started really diving into her story and researching about her, I found that the way she's often portrayed is not really very accurate. So it just prompted me to really set, read something, or I'm sorry, write something that would allow readers to glean a new perspective and kind of set the record straight, but then also offer us hope for when life does take that unexpected turn, just through examining her story. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we think of her, she was, first of all, she was taken into the palace and now and now she didn't know if she was getting taken in there to be told that her husband had been killed. She had no idea why she was being taken in. Um, but right. then she was brought to the king and then taken advantage of in a situation where she was absolutely the powerless one. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, she's often portrayed as this adulteress, as this seductress, that she was the one that lured King David. But when we look at her story, what we find is actually King David was the one that was on the rooftop. Everybody always thinks that it was Bathsheba. Bathsheba, it was believed, was actually on, in the courtyard of her home, and she was doing what she was supposed to be doing because back then it was customary for women following menstruation to do a ritual cleansing, and that's exactly what she was doing. So she gets portrayed as this woman who was standing outside of her house naked. Well, this was customary and normal because they didn't have indoor plumbing at the time. So she was doing what she was supposed to be doing, but King David, on the other hand, was supposed to be at battle with his men and wasn't. And he was the one who was where he was not supposed to be to begin with, which often is how sin starts. So we see that from the very beginning. And just that perspective has been very interesting uh, to kind of set the record straight on as well. Absolutely. And if you think about uh, her situation, she is, she's just, she is just a woman. And she's brought in, first of all, she's brought in by guards or soldiers or uh, personal mm-hmm. tenants to the king of the country. She's not really in a That's position right. to scre- scream or do anything. She's being taken no. there by powerful people. <laughs> Absolutely. Back then, when the king summoned you to the palace, if you didn't go, the, the consequence wasn't great. So she didn't really have a choice. She had to go. Yeah, right. And then some people say that the very fact that King David could come to so I think just let's go ahead and build the story out just a little bit for those of you who either aren't familiar with it or haven't really thought about it too deeply. So the next thing that happens then after she is raped by King David is she's sent home, she becomes pregnant. And this by itself would be enough to traumatize any woman. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we don't know. The Bible doesn't specifically say any details on that. It just says that they had a sexual encounter. But a lot of theologians do believe that she was actually sexually assaulted. So she's been summoned to the palace by King David. She's possibly very likely sexually assaulted. And she's married. So let's not forget that the time, that would be very shame-inducing to be sexually assaulted um, or, and also enter into a consensual affair, that was just very shame invoking at the time. So now she's living with this terrible uh, experience that she had, and she discovers that she's pregnant. So this, of course, alarms King David, and he tries to take matters into his own hands. And do you want me to go ahead and go into the story, Marnie? Well, I think I think the next the next thing for her then is that uh, you know her husband comes home. 
but he won't sleep yes. with her. So David, David signs his death sentence, yes. basically. Right. That's what I was going to go into, but I didn't know if you wanted me to, to yeah, keep go going ahead. or not. Yeah. So, yeah, so what we see with King David is he starts to panic, right? So he has committed this grave sin, and he now sees that he's going to get caught because she's pregnant. And she can't explain this away because her husband Uriah is not there. He's fighting in the battle, which is where King David should have been to begin with. And if you're not familiar with the story, Uriah was Bathsheba's husband, who was one of David's most trusted and revered warriors. So David starts to turn his wheels in his mind a little bit to figure out how he can get out of this situation. So what he comes up with is that he calls Uriah back from the battle, and he attempts to get him to drink a lot of wine and have some good food and then go home to his wife. And Uriah, being a man of integrity and honor, refused to do that when his men were fighting in a battle. So David tried this not one night, but two nights. And after the second night, Uriah, or he, King David gave up and realized that Uriah wasn't going to do what he wanted him to do. And so he sent him back to battle. And this time he had to think of what can I do to get out of this situation? And his answer, and this is another example of where our sin will take us even further than we had planned to go. Because the next thing he chooses to do is he sends Uriah to the front lines of battle. And we all know that, especially during those times, if you're going to the front lines of a battle and a war, you're probably not going to make it through that. And that's exactly what happened. So now we have Bathsheba, who's been very likely sexually assaulted. She's pregnant and she's now a widow. And none of this is by her choice. Women just did not have the rights that they do now. And we've come a long way, but we still struggle with that a little bit. So yeah. now she is faced with a lot of grief and a lot of loss. Yeah. So then, so that enough, I mean, for most of us, if we thought of, okay, in rapid succession, um, I'm raped and then I have a baby and then, mm-hmm. and, or not have a baby, but I'm, I find myself pregnant and then my husband is killed all in rapid succession. This is enough yes. to... Uh, traumatize any mind beyond um, <laughs> what we can think about. And yes. then it goes on that due to the sin of David, the baby dies. So uh, add yes. to that now this yes. additional right. grief and trauma. Right. Absolutely. And if anyone, if you're a mother or you have mothered, um, you know, I believe you can mother in many ways, but if you know the love of being a mom, you know that that's a devastating loss. And so that's exactly what happened. Nathan, who was a prophet and a trusted advisor to David, went to David and just said, hey, listen, you really misstepped here and you need to make this right. And through some stories that Nathan shared with King David, King David was able to see kind of the big picture. And so One thing that I I love about King David, and I also just want to pause for a second right here and say, it's easy to vilify King David in this story, but we have to remember that he's a human being just like all of us. And to me, when I I hear about King David, because he did a lot of things right and he did a lot of things wrong, it is so refreshing because it just reiterates the fact that God will use any of us. We don't have it all. We don't have to have it all figured out to be his messenger. So I like to always point that out because it's easy when we're talking about this to make King David sound like he's absolutely terrible. But in actuality, this is one part of his life that he just really misstepped. And what I love about him in this, in this situation is that after Nathan spoke with him and shared a couple parables, 
that really convicted him, he humbled himself greatly before God and sought forgiveness and recognized what he had done. But unfortunately, as you had said, there's always a consequence to our sin, whether we like it or not. Um, and so that consequence was that the, the child that Bathsheba was carrying would not live. And that's what happened. So now we have Bathsheba, who is been sexually assaulted, a widow, got pregnant, and lost the baby. And as you said, in probably in all in a time period of a year. So I want to, yeah, and, and the thing, the verse to me, and this is where I think the battle comes for people's thinking, is the verse that says that after the baby died, then David went in and comforted Bathsheba by mm-hmm. having sex with her. And there's, <laughs> know, there's right? two there's two sides of logic here. And I just I had never thought of the other side because I always I've always I don't know, just so embraced uh, a forgiving God who forgives me and I forgive others. And that's what we see here. And I believe we see this in Bathsheba so clearly uh, that she had so forgiven David and so trusted God that she was actually able to be Absolutely. comforted by the very person who had done uh-huh. all of this to her, which is just breathtaking. Isn't it mind blowing when you look at the story through different eyes? Because I agree with you. I don't know. Mm-hmm. This is why I just stand in awe of her because I don't know how she could have ever done that, which again is that testimony, as you said, of forgiveness, because right. we see, you know, the Bible goes silent on Bathsheba from like second Samuel 11. We hear all about this and then it just goes silent until first Kings one. And this is the part of Bathsheba's story that I love, 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 because as you said, you can see the, a glimmer of forgiveness right there when she does have sex with King David and is comforted by that. So we do see a little bit of movement and forgiveness there and acceptance of the unexpected turn that her life had taken. But here's what I love. And I don't know, do you want me to dive into the first Kings part now, or do you want me to wait? Yeah, just give me one second, because I want to go back and just say the other perspective. So the other perspective is... Oh, okay, sorry. That, that's okay. And then I do want to go there with that next thought. But the other perspective is that she had to be complicit, or she never could have gotten to the point where she perceived that as comforting it had to be mutual the the original but the yeah that the god that i serve he is so big that he can take someone whose heart has been absolutely trampled on and turn it into a loving heart and and i guess when i look at the story when when nathan comes back and uh, he's after now Solomon was the baby that was conceived in that comforting sexual encounter. Uh, mm-hmm. Solomon was mm-hmm. conceived. And when Solomon was born, uh, the, the prophet comes back again and names him the one God loves because God was mm-hmm. so pleased with David's repentance. And I believe with yes. Bathsheba's forgiveness that this child Absolutely. was so precious to him. Yes. And, you know, I also love the fact that Bathsheba was one of the four women named personally in Jesus's lineage. We can't forget that Jesus descends from the line of Bathsheba. And when you look at that in Matthew, it's all the men that are listed except for four women. And Bathsheba is one of those women. So we know that God was very, very, um, 
enamored. Oh, he's enamored with all of us, but he was very pleased with how Bathsheba chose to respond yeah. to the things so, that happened to her. Yeah. So now go ahead and tell us about the, the last part there of the story. Okay. Okay, so this is my favorite part of the story, which is why I had to pause for a minute because I can just keep on going because I love her story so much. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that's why I wanted to ask. So um, what we see then, of course, after she loses this baby, and she's probably pretty decimated. And I like to say, you know, God never, he hasn't changed his recipe for creating people. We're the same human being creation recipe from back in the, when he first started creating people, we have the same emotions. We have culturally different types of experiences and the time we live in is different. So that shapes us, but we still have the same emotions of anger and shame and fear. And so we know that she was probably grieving heavily after these things that had happened to her. And, but we see God just showing his infinite mercy when yes, Solomon is conceived through that comfort between David and Bathsheba. And King Solomon was a very respected and revered king. He was not perfect, but none of us have to be. But he was a very wise king. He was known for his wisdom. And one thing that I discovered while I was researching this book that I absolutely love, too, a little fun fact, is that many theologians believe that Bathsheba actually wrote Proverbs 31 as a letter to Solomon um, as to what to look for in a wife. So we see her, her wisdom that has come from her suffering and, and her years of living. We see her just gleaning that and, and sharing that with other people. So then... What happens later in 1 Kings 1 is, we, again, we don't hear from Bathsheba or we don't hear anything about her for several chapters until we get to 1 Kings 1. And what happens is that somewhere along the way, the heir to the throne was promised to Solomon. Now, King David had several sons, and one of them, Adonijah, was threatening to usurp the throne from Solomon. And so King David is on his deathbed. And he is dying, and Nathan appears again to Bathsheba and says, hey, listen, here's what's going on. Adonijah has threatened to take the throne. He's declaring himself as king. He's even pulling people out to follow him. The thing is that you have to think about is if he does become king, he knows you're a threat, and it's very likely he'll have you and Solomon killed. So we see Nathan telling this truth to Bathsheba. Bathsheba then listens to Nathan's advice to go speak to King David. Now, this seems like it should not be a big deal, but when you research and learn about her story, it was unheard of for anyone to approach the king on his deathbed back then, even wives. So the fact that she approached him on his deathbed showed tremendous courage and conviction of writing something that should be right. Then it also shows us because she contemplated how to best speak to him. And anyone who's married knows this is a simple marriage 101 thing. You have to learn to finesse your communication. So having a hard conversation may not be great at the end of the day when it's 10 o'clock and you're tired. So those are the kinds of things that we know when we're married. And that's, that's sort of what happened with Bathsheba, too. She knew how to speak to her husband so that he would listen. And so she went to him and formulated a way to reach him that would convict him on his deathbed to write this situation. And that's exactly what happened. She went to him. She showed him great respect. She explained what was going on with Adonijah. 
And King David from his deathbed declared that Solomon would be the king. So we see this woman who has gone through just stuff that we just can't even imagine emerge strong and wise and victorious with just a lot of courage. And I love that part of her story. And as I already mentioned, we see then that Jesus descends from the line through Bathsheba. It's just such a um, terrible story, and yet such a story. Again, I love the, the subtitle of your book is Finding Hope, and it is such a book a story about hope, Bathsheba, because she did suffer so much. And I do want to get to uh, talking through, you know, the things that we were mentioning before we started here. Um, let's start with just keeping it real. I think that mm-hmm. the one thing that faithful women have in common (laughs) with each other is that sometimes they can almost look like they didn't understand how bad this was. Like they aren't as upset as they should be. If we were going to just say how upset should Bathsheba have been to be, you know, Mm -hmm. taken advantage of and impregnated and her husband killed and the baby killed all by the same man, basically by the same man's uh, hand. Um, Mm -hmm. We would say, oh, she should definitely not have forgiven. That would definitely not be right. Uh, the, the right thing for her to do. And yet that's exactly what she did. And I think that this keeping it real piece is so important. I have a saying, I would be more faithful if it didn't feel so irresponsible. <laughs> right. I I, it's, that's a great quote. I love that. <laughs> It does. I absolutely agree with you 100%. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I, and I think the importance of, of keeping it real is, and being authentic is that when we hide ourselves, that's where shame can do its biggest work. And so when we go through these hard trials, if we, we don't have to broadcast it to everybody. By all means, that's not really necessarily healthy either. But if you have some trusted friends that you can just start to get real with, then that's going to start bringing that to the light. And it's so, so important to get real with, with what you're facing and what, what's, what's going on. Well, and I think it's, it's always been, from my perspective, it's always been the thing that God loved most about David. King David was so raw and authentic with God. You know, he yes, would be like, uh, God, God, you're great. Can I just kill these guys or would you just kill them for me? Because I just hate them <laughs> so badly, you know, and then he'll come mm-hmm. back around and say, but you know, whatever you want to do, because you're God. And, but he's really authentic. And in this yeah. story of Bathsheba, we, we come to recognize that she had to, she had to truly face what had happened to her extend. Well, first receive God's love and healing, and then extend mm-hmm. forgiveness to David, mm-hmm. or she could have never perceived his sexual advance toward her as comfort. Simply no way. Absolutely. And she would not have emerged in First Kings 1 with the courage she had to, to approach him on his deathbed. So there was definitely transformation that happened, and absolutely it started with forgiveness. That was her first choice. You nail it mm-hmm. completely, because if she chose not to forgive – then the byproducts of that are resentment and anger and bitterness. We would have seen a very, very different Bathsheba than the one we saw in First Kings 1. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that you can face, face your pain and understand it. This is good to do. 
Um, I think that what happens, <laughs> I know for, for years when my kids were teenagers, they really had a perception of me that I just stuck my head in the sand because something terrible would happen and I would, I would rebound very quickly and act mm-hmm. as if it had not happened, um, have that mm-hmm. much healing mm-hmm. grace to go forward. And as, it was as they became adults that they realized, oh, no, I was actually facing it, receiving healing, extending forgiveness, and moving on. It's super important that we take as much time as that takes. The fact that Bathsheba turned this all around in a matter of a year or, you know, whatever, 18 months or however long that took between those occurrences, the fact that she could do that so quickly um, is truly a testament to her faithfulness, uh, her trust in God. But it is so important to face and understand our pain. Absolutely. And also give ourselves permission to grieve. I know that I have this later in the book too, but you know, I think a lot of times we, we live in this society where everyone wants to make things better. You know, it's so something happens, for example, my mom lost her husband a year ago and it was heartbreaking and it's been heartbreaking, but I think people mean well, but they just want her to feel happy again without understanding that this is a process and it takes time to heal. And you have to give yourself permission to grieve and feel all the feels, I like to say, because if you don't, it will emerge later on in, in ways that are not so great for you. And it's not just even emotionally. It's physically, too. There's so much research being done on how lack of forgiveness yeah. and just carrying around that stress and that grief without really working through it impacts us now physiologically. So it's just really something we can't afford to not do. We have to give ourselves permission to grieve. We have to let ourselves feel that emotion. And that's not to say that emotions can always be trusted because we know that they can be deceitful, but we have to give ourselves permission to feel that grief and then begin the healing journey. And one of the things that I encourage Um, everyone to do, but especially younger women, is to begin to learn how to grieve um, as you go along. So what happens is when you get married, let's say, um, that change is so exciting and wonderful, but actually in that acceptance of a new stage of life, a married stage now, you've lost some things. You've lost some independence and you've lost some autonomy there and things like that. And it's okay to grieve that and feel that as you bring a new child into your family, uh, that's so exciting, but you've actually lost some things, uh, sleep, (laughs) but you've lost a lot of things. And, and, and uh, to, to actually embrace the grief as you go forward and learn how to do that as a lifestyle, not as something the Bible talks about grieving, not as the world grieves, but grieving in, in a honest, authentic way that says, wow, this, this should be the happiest moment of my life. But for some reason, I feel a little sad about it. Why is that? And that's because right. there actually is, there actually is a sacrifice going on. There's something that you lost in order to achieve the place that you are that's now. Right. right. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Change always brings on even good change, a change. And so we, yes, we're, we're, we can grieve the loss of the life of, of how we lived as a single person or the life before kids. I know I remember holding my newborn daughter and thinking, what have I done? And yet at the same time, she's the greatest <laughs> thing that's ever happened. To me. Right, you know, exactly. when you're sleep deprived, when you're in that stage, you're like, wait, right. what, what did I just sign up for? And I can't return her and I'm just so tired. 
But right. Um, right. Yeah, you raise a great point in that, too, that sometimes it's the happy things that can make us grieve, too. And, and that's okay. That, There's validation yeah, there, too. And just, it's all just part of being authentic and actually being real with ourselves and with God and with our circumstances. And that, that's yeah. another reason I really love Bathsheba's story is because she totally is. You know, when she went into King David at the end of his life, she went in and little Abishag, the cute little teenager or whatever, that he had sleep with him mm-hmm. at that point in his life was probably in bed with him or nearby. And she just had mm-hmm. to get over it. You know, She just had to get over herself. She did. You know, and well, just yeah. say, this is what I need. And, and this yeah. is my circumstance. And I think that it's just such a beautiful example to us of getting over the thing that is bothering us or hurting us, giving that to Jesus. I don't think that we can heal it ourselves. I think we can bury it real well, but I don't think we can heal it ourselves. I think we need Jesus Mm -hmm. to heal that. In fact, that kind of takes us into the next thing I wanted to talk about was dealing with the associated shame, anger, and fear, because a lot of these like circumstances Mm -hmm. don't Mm -hmm. come without some of these other things are really ingrained into them. Absolutely. And you know, too, if you think about, as I had mentioned earlier before, God hasn't changed his recipe for making people. And so let's think about for just a second how it was in the community when Bathsheba became pregnant and her husband was killed and then she's marrying the king. Do you think maybe there were people talking about her? My guess would be yes. So she probably highly likely had to live with quite a bit of shame, even though none of this is the result of her choice. And so what happens, and and just, I think there's sometimes confusion between guilt and shame. Guilt can actually be a positive conviction for us, right? So uh, if I do something that I'm not proud of, then that guilt is going to convict me to write it. Whereas guilt tells me that I've done something bad Shame tells me that I am a bad person after I've done something. So there's a very big difference between the two because what guilt does is it makes us deal with something we should deal with and then move forward without it impacting our soul of who we are. Shame will penetrate the soul of who we are. And what shame does, it's, it's kind of like battery acid. It just eats away your soul because what mm-hmm. it does is it feeds you lies about yourself. And shame shows up in so many, many, many different ways. But it tells you lies about yourself that are just absolutely not true. And so we start to believe those lies because shame is very, very sneaky. And that's what the enemy will do is he'll come in and he'll use shame. It's his best weapon, along with fear, to distort the truth of who we are. And we see so many people just suffer from low self-esteem and and just uh, depression, anxiety as a result of shame. Shame tells me I'm a bad person. I like that. I like that definition. Um, and it is never. I think the one thing we know is that it is never from God. Um, it, Romans no. eight one. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ right. Jesus. Um, and right. even the conviction, even the word guilt. Um, I think the the conviction of the Holy Spirit does not, to me, even feel like guilt. Um, it is it is a gentle, it is a becoming aware. Mm-hmm, it's kind of mm-hmm, like when mm-hmm. Nathan was talking to David, and all of a sudden David 
David's saying, that man should die. And Nathan says, you're that man. <laughs> and That's he right. didn't do it to guilt him or shame him. He did it to convict no. him. But this is, That's right. this is your situation. And David immediately saw that and just made the turn. Right. You know, he just was like, right, right. I, I'm, I'm so wrong. I'm so wrong. And I know when the Holy Spirit right. convicts me, it's so different. So when the enemy convicts me, <laughs> when the enemy comes against me, it's not conviction. The enemy comes against me with guilt, shame, condemnation. That's um, right. It's all like that. It's a very dark black feeling. Whereas when the Holy Spirit convicts right. me, I see the blackness of the sin, the darkness of the sin. Yes. But I personally don't feel rejected. I just feel called Exactly. Right. Yeah, it's such a big difference. So I think for those of you who are are listening and you've been receiving that God is so mad at you and that he's so ashamed of you, um, that's not coming from the heart of God. God loves Mm -mm. you tremendously. Maybe, Natalie, just speak to that girl right now who's been believing that God is really angry with her. Oh, yes. Well, um, so when I think about God's character, I, I love how, you know, he is our father. He, and not to sound trite, like the song, he is a good, good father. And the reason why he is such a good father is because if, if we are, you know, I'm a parent of three kids. And so when they do something wrong, I'm disappointed. Um, I might be sad, I might grieve a little bit, but I'm never, ever, ever going to stop loving them no matter what. And I will never be, I might be angry at the situation, but I, I will never reject them as people. I tell them every night there's absolutely nothing they could ever do to make me stop loving them, nothing. And so when I became a parent, I realized the parallel there. Because if we can think of ourselves and God is that good, good father. And so if we can think of him being the parent to us, there's no way he's ever going to stop loving us. Is he disappointed in the choices we make sometimes? Yes, that's called sin, and that's normal. And he gave us a solution for that in his son. But he will never cut off his love for us. Yeah. And I think even the sadness that he feels, toward the sin is because it hurts us and or it hurts yes. others. It's always, Absolutely. you know, there's all the laws. When you go through the commandments and the laws, they're all about protecting. They're there to protect. Yes. And he loves That's us right. so much that he actually extended laws and rules that would help us to be the healthiest and the happiest and the wholest <laughs> that we could be. And when we violate that or when others violate it against us, it saddens his heart. So, yes, he is sad. Yes. But That's right. the shame, the shame, the blame, the condemnation, those things do not come from him. He has a heart of compassion. No. That's what he extends to you. The principle, Absolutely. I wrote, I, the last book I wrote was called Flow Through Vessel. In that instead of trying to get up every morning and perform for God, what he really wants is for us to get up every morning and receive his grace so that we can live his life as an extension of him. 
that he would flow to us, then through us to everybody else. And the principle there then is that I cannot give something, someone I don't have, something I don't have. So Natalie, if you asked me for a million dollars, I would have to say, sorry, I don't have it. I can't give it to you. (laughs) Uh, But um, the problem with believing that God is angry with us, that he is um, shunning us, whatever, it means that his life isn't coming to us in a way that we can share with others. It actually, it's actually right where Satan wants to keep us. So in order for us to right. ever be able to share compassion and forgiveness and love to another person who's going through something, we have to have first experienced it. And that's, that's exactly so, right. Yes. That's what's so important about this receiving compassion piece is that we cannot extend it to others unless we first experienced it. Absolutely. And when we receive that compassion and that grace from God, we begin to feel that love. And what happens when people feel love, they start to soften. And that's just one way of chiseling through those walls that we can put up as a defense mechanism. We think we're protecting ourselves, but actually we're we're hurting ourselves in the long run. And so that love and that compassion chisels through those barriers we put up and forces us to get real and to begin the journey of healing. Right. And, and the forgiveness, we're going to get to it here at the end again, too, but it plays a part in all of this. Um, the forgiveness, once again, if you haven't experienced the forgiveness of God yourself, it's nearly impossible for you to extend that to other people. Um, we right. have to, and, and it is, I mean, sometimes, I don't know about for you, Natalie, but sometimes when people have wronged me, the, I know, I remember one time, the only way I could forgive was when Jesus said, here, just, just crawl up in my arms as I'm on the cross. Now look down. Mm-hmm. Can you forgive? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's a great you know, visual. Because, yes. You know, yeah, because I was just so wounded and I just couldn't see how forgiving would help, but mm-hmm. of course it does. It absolutely does. And, you know, there are a lot of lies that our culture feeds us about forgiveness. Uh, you know, we live in a society that, that um, says things like, you know, don't get mad, get even, and uh, mm. revenge is the best medicine. And it kind of just adds that bitterness that much more, right? And yeah. another lie we don't really – or another lie that we believe, at least I know I did, and and through conversations I know others have struggled with this as well, forgiveness we believe is actually for other people. That we think, okay, I will forgive you. I will release you of that debt of hurting me. But really, in actuality, forgiveness is for you. When you choose to forgive, you're releasing all of that bitterness, anger, resentment that comes as a result of not forgiving. So, it takes one to forgive. It takes two to reconcile. And so I think we get confused in our, our society about the difference between reconciliation uh-huh. and forgiveness. Good, we yeah. can choose to forgive. And I don't need to wait for someone to apologize to me to forgive them and vice versa. So, you know, if I have hurt somebody, I don't need to wait for them to forgive me. I can forgive myself and move forward, too. If I have been wronged and they haven't come to me, 
I can still choose to forgive them and keep walking. And that's a, a very necessary component to our healing journey because, as I had already said earlier, there's just so much research on the, the physical association between forgiveness and our, our physiological makeup in general. That really, that one piece there really tripped me up for quite a while. Um, when I was younger, I remember having a situation where someone had really hurt me and they took zero responsibility for it. And I really didn't mm-hmm. understand how to apply forgiveness in that situation because I was like, how do you, how do you forgive somebody that doesn't want to be forgiven? I don't understand. You know, I can't do it. I have to have their help. And right. at one point God showed me, um, he just brought this to mind. Uh, does God sit in unforgiveness until I come and ask, and then he decides what he's going to answer? Or does he sit right. in a position of forgiveness waiting for me to come and ask for it? And then, of course, he just freely lays it on because he's already forgiven me. So it's no difference at that right. point to him. He, he already did it. The difference is to me. And that's how it always is. Yes. Like you said, it's about me. But then what's interesting is that once we forgive, once we forgive ourselves, once we forgive other people, it positions us to then be able to help others as they need to forgive. I mean, it is for other people in the end as well, but it has oh, to once yes. again, uh, oh, I can't, yes, I can't give away what I don't have. Yeah, that's right. right. You can't that's give right. away what you yes. don't have. Yes, mm. yes, absolutely. But we are actually the ones that benefit. It's, it's kind of like oh, a, a, so a way to, to change thinking about it because we for so long believe mm-hmm. that we're letting someone off the hook when really what we're doing is we're letting ourselves off the hook. And I want right. to also add on that too. Another lie that, that is believed a lot of times is that when you uh, forgive, you're condoning what happened. Actually, when you forgive, you're showing tremendous maturity and courage and love for yourself. That is not condoning and saying it's okay. You know, with my kids, we have this thing where if you say, I'm sorry, if I apologize for something that I did, I don't want you to say it's okay. It's not okay. What you need to say is, thank you. I forgive you. I love you. But we don't want to say it's okay because, you know, it's never really okay to hurt somebody, is it? But that's just kind of a canned response we say. So it's not condoning it. It's just saying that I forgive you, I release you, and I am going to keep walking on my journey in peace. Well, and it kind of circles back up to what we started with. Keep it real, face and understand your pain. Uh, where the only way to truly forgive somebody is to actually look at what they did to you and choose to apply forgiveness to it. It isn't, doesn't right. even really count as forgiveness if you're not even acknowledging that they hurt you who what would need to be forgiven in that situation so yeah just that that willingness to be honest and authentic again talk to us about taking care of yourself so in this in this process of recognizing that life is hard there's wounds um we've been (laughs) grieving honestly looking at this forgiving extending forgiveness as, as possible and then how do, how do you take care of yourself through this process? That is a great question. And that is a question, and I hate to gender stereotype, but that's a great question for women to talk about because we're not always great at this as a, a population. Um, we do a lot. We wear a lot of hats. And usually the first thing to go, at least in my own experience, is self-care. 
So if I'm feeling tired, instead of laying down and taking a little nap, I might let that go when I get too busy. But what ends up happening is that my best self then later doesn't come out. And so prioritizing self-care, particularly when we're going through something hard and when we're grieving, is so important because I think, especially when we're healing, we're going through the healing journey of, of our life taking an unexpected turn. We just have to be good to ourselves. We have to be kind to ourselves. We have to give ourselves grace and show love to ourselves. And I don't know what that is for us as women. And I'm not saying that men don't struggle with this too. But I see this so much in women, myself included. Why is it so hard for us to show love to ourselves and prioritize that self-care? And so I think it's absolutely critical, particularly when you're in that healing journey, to just be good to your soul and listen to what you need and obey that. So when I'm teaching on this, I go back to the New Testament commands where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, so like that. And I just add the word you where it's, where it's assumed. So you start with you, love the Lord your God with all your soul and your strength and your heart. And love and you, love your neighbor as yourself. So there's nine yous. There's nine uses mm-hmm. of the word you in that command, which is because, once again, we cannot give what we do not have. Uh, I just, right now there's at, at Marnie.com, there's the holiday planner because what happens to a lot of women during the holidays is we give and 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 give. And then right about Christmas time, we have a total meltdown and we undo everything we did. We get sick or we say things that we wouldn't have said if we had been rested. And, you know, I mean, it's just like, oh, you just, the self-care piece is so important that you yes. cannot give what you do not have. And if you're not taking care of you, you can't take care of others. And God knows that. That's why that commandment is right. stated the way it is. Yes, absolutely. And having the courage to protect that time to take care of yourself, knowing that you need to prioritize that and making a commitment to prioritize self-care is huge. I've done that in the last six months, and I can tell you that that has been a huge game changer for me in my life in general. Mm, That's so cool. So let's move on to taking responsibility for our part. Um, I remember years ago, uh, my mother-in-law, who's just my sweetie friend, and she's 94 now. (laughs) Um, Oh, I love it. I just I just, I, I've always said about her that I, when I grow up, I want to be just like Doris. <laughs> and oh, I remember I that. years and years ago, years ago, she had been hurt by someone had come in. She was a church secretary at the time. Someone had come in and said something hurtful to her and she was processing it and she was telling me about it. And she said, well, what I do is I, I give it to Jesus, but then I look for the one thing that he can tell me about what I could learn from this or how I could change and be better in the future. She said, and sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with um, the exact confrontation piece. Sometimes it's a surrounding piece or whatever, but she's just been faithful to look for an area where she can learn and grow from every situation, even something painful. And I just thought that was such great advice and just have adopted that as well to take responsibility for anything that might be my part in a situation Mm -hmm. where I'm actually the victim. (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, there are some situations where, you know, you, you're going to come up empty. Like in Bathsheba's situation, I don't really know what her part is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you that that's, uh, those cases are, are oftentimes rare. Uh, so I think if we can look at, you know, if we have an argument, and the holidays kind of bring this out, and people say this is kind of a good time to talk about this. If we have an argument with a family member or, um, you know, we just find ourselves in a situation where we're a little stuck, I think it's always good to examine what your role is in that particular situation. Because just like King David, like God wants us to be humble before him. So own it, take responsibility for it, and try to write it afterwards. Yeah, so like in the Bathsheba story, um, I don't know that there was anything for her to take responsibility for in the initial events that happened, but she sure was expected to take responsibility of what she did with her thoughts afterwards. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. That's very true. She, she did have a choice in how she responded. Um, So when, you know, if we're looking at just a situation, no, she did not have any part in, in David's choices, but she did have a, a choice as to how she responded to what happened to her. She could have been a victim or she could have been a survivor. And if you choose to live life as a victim, you're going to kind of be more like that Eeyore type of personality from Winnie the Pooh, you know, where, woe is me, everything is wrong, everything is done to me, Uh, nothing good ever happens. You kind of walk around with that black cloud. But if you choose to take what happened to you and you become a survivor and a source of inspiration instead, that's how God wants us to respond. And that's how Bathsheba responded. So she did have a choice. She could have become a victim, but instead she chose to become a survivor. And we see that, as we see evidence of that when she approached her husband as he was dying. And I think the other thing that, that brought to mind when we were talking about her, Bathsheba, at the end of her life, um, one time we'd gotten marriage counseling or coaching, I guess it was with a group session that we were just going through some marriage training, and they had said, don't fight in your marriage, but fight for your marriage. So um, in her Mm -hmm. situation, she didn't go to fight with King David about something they disagreed about. She went to fight with him for something they both agreed about. (laughs) And that's exactly right. I love that distinction, um, fighting for your marriage. uh, Like, like right. you see that this this is this continues to happen and this is painful for us. This is not helping our marriage, and both of us want the marriage to work. Therefore, I'm not fighting against you. I'm fighting with you. Let's get to the bottom of this and you know make make right. this a better situation. Right. I love that perspective of it as well. That empowers it empowers us to do what needs to be done again without feeling guilt and shame. That's exactly right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And they did have um, an, an agreement uh, that Solomon would be the heir to the throne. So she was fighting for, for what was right uh, because King David had no idea that this was going on. So she brought a truth to him and was able, as you had mentioned, to ignore some other extraneous details that were going on in the room. Um, but she was able to go in and speak and use that voice even when she could have been filled with fear. At the same time, but she wasn't. She chose to be a survivor. She chose to be an adult. She chose to uh, have courage and, and approach King David and, and, and 
point out what was going on because they had agreed to this before. So another godly woman, another older lady in my life, a mentor to me had told me um, a kind of a definition of submission that I had never thought about. She said, part of being a submissive wife, and I know that's a word we don't like to talk about very much now, but part of being a submissive right. wife is, is submitting what you know for his good. So you, you have a piece of information that he does not have. You submit it to him so that he has it. Well, that's a, I love that definition because that's something that a lot of us, you know, we're kind of afraid to do that in this situation. Bathsheba took a huge risk to go and do this. Right. Um, It did not. It's like, you know, you take this huge risk to go in and some of us, we aren't, maybe won't be beheaded if we go into our husbands, but we maybe won't have the best reception ever. And it's worth it. You guys, to, if God has given you a piece of information that's important for your husband to have, it's important for you to, uh, by faith, take a step and submit that piece of information to him, even if his immediate response is not what you'd hoped. You know, we think about the immediate response right. of in the story of one of David's other wives, um, uh, right. Abigail, and yeah. her husband Abigail, did not yeah. respond well. <laughs> and that's that's no. part of the that's part of the that's part of the risk that's involved. But because we're safe in the hands of God and we're doing what we know we need to do, then we can rest right. assured that that God's got us. You know, it's funny. I remember doing a Bible study that Kay Arthur had led, and she said, you know, listen, sometimes you take this information to your husband, and like Abigail's husband, if he doesn't respond and, and make a wise choice, sometimes you just have to duck. <laughs> and exactly. so I think about that right. oftentimes, too, because you right. you take that information, and then he can respond with having all the facts. And sometimes he may not respond the way you want him to, as we see, again, with Abigail's husband. So. Yes, that's a, a very valid and good point to make as well. So I love your book. You guys want to check this out, The Bathsheba Battle, Finding Hope When Life Takes an Unexpected Turn. It's a paperback book. It's got all kinds of great stuff in it, um, a turning to God section, questions for reflection or discussion. This would be a great group Bible study as well as a personal study or just a book to read for your own um your own encouragement and help. And uh, Natalie, your website is nataliesnap.com. Snap has two P's, A-P-P, um, at the end, nataliesnap.com. If people go over there, what are they going to find? Well, I have been writing a blog for 10 years now. Um, I have been less active on the writing part of it there, uh, but I do pop over there periodically and and, uh, write a little update. Most of my interaction occurs on social media, so you can find me at uh, on Facebook uh, at backslash author Natalie Snap. I'm on Instagram as Natalie Snap as well. Uh, you can send me messages via those uh, vehicles, and I, I will get back, do my best to get back with you in, in a timely fashion. I usually give myself 48 hours, um, but that would be the best way to connect um, just in with uh, readers and, and um, anything that you want to read on the blog. Awesome. And do you have like a theme verse for life or a favorite passage? Oh, there are so, so very many. Um, (laughs) You know, I would have to say my answer to that is uh, the whole chapter of Isaiah 61. 
that has offered me such comfort um, for mm-hmm. so long, and particularly the piece where he talks about uh, God will replace your crown of ashes with a crown of beauty, because mm-hmm. I think that we forget that truth so often. And in my own personal story, I've been through some very hard things, and I've worn that crown of ashes. And in the midst of wearing that crown of ashes, it's so comforting to know that I won't have to wear it forever and he will have that crown of beauty for me waiting. And I just have to receive that from him and, and go through that healing journey. So I would say the whole chapter, I love the book of Isaiah, but particularly 61 and actually 43. Those are my two favorites. Mm. That's so fun. And I kind of hunker down in the 51 through 55 range of Isaiah. That's mm-hmm. uh, yes. I, like I love that too. I love it's that a really too. awesome book. If you haven't been in Isaiah lately, take some time and go back and enjoy that book. And uh, Natalie, thank you so much. First of all, thank you for just listening to Jesus and for living for him. Oh, thank despite you. the hard thank things you. that you've been through, you've chosen to not become bitter, um, but to embrace forgiveness yes. and embrace his love and share it with others. So thank you for that. Yes. Thank you for recognizing that. I appreciate it. It's been great to be with you today. Yes. And thanks for being here. So fun to have you. And I'll, I'll wish you a wonderful day and a happy Thanksgiving, Natalie. Thank you. You as well, Marty. Take care. Take care. And you guys, it's just been so great to have you with us this afternoon. It's always fun to be together on Wednesday afternoons live here at Blog Talk Radio, as well as to those of you who listen around the web. Uh, Just thanks for that. We appreciate your faithfulness. And for those of you who host us on your website, love that. Uh, It is the day before Thanksgiving 2019, and I just want to express to you my gratitude for your part in my life, in my ministry. I know a lot of you have come alongside and helped to support me as I've gone around the world um, uh, and bring hope and help to women worldwide. And for those of you who have prayed for me or invested financially into that mission work, thank you so much. For those of you who are partners with us over at womenspeakers.com, thank you. I just love matching, connecting planners with speakers over there. And if you're a planner looking for a speaker, check out over 1,000 awesome Christian women speakers at womenspeakers.com. And if you're a speaker looking to uh, find more engagements, join us over there as well. And for those of you who are friends of mine at marnie.com, thank you so much for that. Right now, the holiday planner is available for, to you for free on the front page of marnie.com, and I hope that you will take advantage of that. That's a $27 value. That's right now for free. And so if you would like to engage in the most peaceful holiday season yet, go over to marnie.com and right there on the front page, you can request access to that training. It's both a downloadable workbook as well as there's a bunch of online um, audio clips that you can to help you understand how I was able to manage uh, Christmas for thousands of people when we owned a retail store and a restaurant as well as Christmas at home and how you can apply some of those awesome strategies to your own Christmas this year and going forward. Once again, I love you. Thank you. And have a wonderful Thanksgiving. See you next time. Bye-bye.